This is Sermon Smith, a bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation, and my name is John Chandler. My guest today is Mark Sayers. Mark is the pastor of Red Church in Melbourne in Australia. Uh, you might be familiar with Mark. He's written quite a number of books, and I, I just think he offers a keen insight on culture and theology. Uh, so I was really excited to have him to the podcast because I hope for some of you who haven't heard of him or read his books, you'll be exposed to him and some of his thinking. But aside from his writing, which certainly he's been fairly prolific at over the last eight years or so, uh, Mark is first and foremost the pastor of his church, which is Red Church. And I just really appreciate that even as he's had this voice that has become this voice for the global church, certainly the uh, post-Christian Western church, that he has continued to feed that voice and raise that voice out of his own ministry context. And so uh, you'll see that some of that comes through, not only just in the great thinking that comes in his books, but in, in how he leads and how he prepares his sermons within his church. So it was it was rich to have him here. Our partner today is Audible. If you have never listened to audiobooks, I'd encourage you to give it a try since you're listening to this. Uh, it seems like audiobooks might be a good transition for you. I listen to audiobooks all the time. I probably listen to five or six a year. Listen to them in the car. I kind of alternate between podcasts and audiobooks uh, and really enjoy doing that. You can go to audibletrial.com slash sermonsmith where you can start a trial for a free month, which will get you a free book. And then uh, a portion of that will come back to the podcast as a way to support the podcast. I'd recommend as a book this time around, Audible has one of Mark's books. It's called The Vertical Self, and he'll talk about it a little bit in this podcast. But if you want to be introduced to some of his writing, some of his thinking, or maybe you already have some, but you want to try some from his voice and an audiobook, you can go to audibletrial.com slash sermonsmith. You can sign up there and for your free book, you could get The Vertical Self by Mark, or you could get... Uh, just about any number of thousands and thousands of books that they have available. So give it a shot. Uh, as always, uh, at sermonsmith.com, you can find notes and links, a little bit more about Mark uh, in the notes there for today's show. You can find books and gear that I've mentioned for all of the previous guests on the podcast. So that's all said. Let's jump into it. Yeah, well, let's, let's just, we'll just jump right into it. Why don't you start out and tell us about Red Church. Tell us about the church where you do the the preaching that you do. Mm. Yeah, it's always, um, not hard, but an interesting story to explain, I guess, our church. So our church um, was planned. So I'm, uh, the church I'm part of was part of a network um, church, which was called Red. And um, it was really one of the hubs or beginnings of, I guess, the missional movement um, really in the world. And our, our sort of senior pastor was Alan Hirsch. Oh. And um, so I worked under Alan and Deborah Hirsch for many years. And um, and then I was planted out of that. And um, the church uh, you know, went through some changes. Alan and Deb moved on. And um, there were different changes and hit a sort of rough patch. And um, we sort of were the only um, hub of the network left. And... Um, really sort of got down to quite a small group of people and then had to, it was really a revitalization, I guess I call it. So it was sort of like planting, you just planted something, but then because it was part of a network, which sort of went through some difficulties, it became planting and revitalizing simultaneously. And um, so I really had to think through a lot of how to do church and particularly Melbourne's a very progressive secular city. Um, Australia is um, probably a lot more secular than the US. Um, Australian culture is sort of half American, half European with its own things. Often in Europe, I feel like Australia's American. In America, I feel like Australia's European. And Melbourne's mm. our second largest city, and it's a wonderful city to live in. It's consistently, you know, most of my life comes in number one on The Economist's most liberal city in the world, So, which is a great thing, but then in a progressive secular city, which is fantastic to live in. Um, it presents sort of challenges to faith where everything's so comfortable and Australia is nicely nestled down the bottom of the world and we're one of the freest, most peaceful, affluent countries in the world. And so, um, yeah, so here it can be a little bit like a frog in the kettle with um, comfort. So preaching into that is, I guess, something which has really sharpened my um I guess, view of culture, like a lot of people sort of like, you know, you've got a bit of a culture bent where that come from. And I think it's just from 
doing that here in Melbourne and Australia, having having to think about that stuff seriously. So, yeah, the church has grown and blossomed and we have two um, campuses now or congregations, we call them. And, um, yeah, so I preach primarily at the large one, but then go out to the, to the newer one. And, um, yeah, so it's a great church. Um, a lot of millennials, um, but starting to broad out, broaden out in age, and um, yeah, really enjoy being there. And how uh, how do people find? I mean, do you find that people come to Red Church with very little faith background, or do they come looking for uh, what, just what what you know? How do people find their way into your church? What what kind of spirituality do you have in there? Mm. So I think we get a lot of people. I guess there's sort of two groups. There's a lot of people who I guess um, one or three groups really. I would say there's there's one which is people who are de-churched or moving out of church and sort of where their last chance and perhaps they've encountered us through me and my books or heard about Red and they're like, I'll give that a go. And um, uh, then there's another group who um, I would say – have been disconnected from faith for a long time. Melbourne is, you know, uh, I think it's the biggest Greek city in the world outside of Greece. It's a lot of Italians, a lot of Irish. There's a lot of Orthodox, a lot of Catholic, a lot of um, Anglicans who grew up with a faith but have a belief but then haven't been an active disciple for many, many years. And, and God does something and maybe they have kids or something and then they sort of turn up. And so we get lots of people turning up who are, yeah, Catholic or there's people turn up to an orthodox background. Um, and then we also have a lot of people who I think increasingly are drawn to Christians who are drawn to our um, ministry and our vision of what we're doing. Um, and lastly, we're just getting a lot of people turning up who are just have zero, zero faith background. Um, atheists, agnostics, people with new age backgrounds, Buddhists, Muslims, um, Melbourne's very multicultural. Um, yeah, so just finding literally people, which it's funny, it didn't used to happen, but I'm finding it happen in the last couple of years. And I know this is true across Melbourne. Like I was talking to a friend who is at the main Anglican cathedral and they're seeing an increase in just people walking off the street. Um, mm. And so we're having that too. People just literally turning up, finding us on the website, walking past and then coming in and, and becoming Christians, which is really interesting. I haven't seen that in my ministry life. Yeah. Uh, so what, uh, with that background, I'm, I'm a, I'm going to, I'm going to follow up the question I'm about to ask you. I'll just ask the question. Then I'll come to my next question that's haunting me right now. But what is, what would you say then in the life of your congregation is the role of preaching? Mm. It, it's really interesting. So we, we were essentially were a missional church, which very much deconstructed a lot of the classic church architecture and forms right. and structures. And so when I planted, we started in a cafe and I sort of was on the assumption like, you know, let's just get people doing mission and get them out in the, in the world and let's get in this third place. And I just would do discussion-based stuff. And what I began to notice was that to do mission, when you throw people into it, particularly a place like Melbourne, which is fantastic and um, comfortable and there's always a restaurant to go to and some art show and some concert or sporting event that – if you're not building up people as disciples, the mission edge goes. So we had all mission, very little building up. And I had this moment where after we'd sort of deconstructed everything, I had people come up to me saying, hey, look, you know how you're doing that discussion thing? Like, And I was trying to throw it around. Like I'd get different people to discuss each week. They were like, hey, you know how you're doing that discussion thing? Wouldn't it be cool if like you sort of know more than us and it's really helpful when you talk? Could you like maybe just talk? for like 30 <laughs> minutes and cut out the questions and like it's really helping us learn and going to do mission. And I'm like, okay, we're just going around the block and come back home again and you're effectively talking about a sermon. And I began to see that preaching in a, which I'd, I'd, I didn't think worked, but then discovered it working. That in a secular environment like Australia, Australians are, you know, that, that they hold religion at a distance and like many people in the West I think in particular Australia, it's, it's particularly strong. They're apprehensive. So they want to come and just hear. And you have this incredible potential with a sermon to get in our 
distraction-based culture where we're constantly interrupted by phone, there's very few times where you sit and listen to someone and, and able to engage with them at a heart and head level. And so preaching's become a real central part of our church and um, realizing too that God had gifted me in certain areas and wanting to use that and then him bringing other people along as well. And so I would say at Red, cent- preaching is one of the central things that we do um, in order to disciple people, evangelize people and, and encourage people. And, and I mean, you really answered the follow-up question that I was already chewing on when you talked about the context, which is it does feel like the sermon I see in post-Christian, post-Christian settings is deconstructed so much. Mm. And here you are in, in the heart of one. And, if, and I, I don't want to say that your church uh, is sermon-centric, but I can certainly tell just from looking at the website and I listen to one or two of your sermons that it certainly feels like it has a very prominent role. So yeah. I was just, it, it, it is interesting to hear how it's kind of come back. And I, but I've wondered that myself, you know, even in North America, it still feels like even in a post-Christian culture, people want something, you know, to grab a hold of, to, to chew on, to sit with. Yes. Uh, so I can see why it's, it's, I guess it's encouraging for me to see that you've seen it come full circle there. Cause I'm just not one who's ready to, obviously I'm doing this podcast. I'm not one who's ready to just chuck the role of preaching as our, as our own country moves towards a more post-Christian setting. Mm. And I think, I think what I've discovered too, is that in post like, you know, if you're offering something different, that stands out as it becomes more rare. So, you know, as we become more individualized, Christian community becomes more appealing and strange and appealing. Um, I'm fascinated by in the last, I don't know how many years, but the, the growth of TED Talks, you know, yeah. and um, they're huge, they're absolutely huge. And people are sitting there watching TED Talks. And even the other day on here, they had, um, um, making it now relevant, but they had Michael Moore's Trump land on um, documentary, which yeah. I thought was a documentary about Donald Trump, but it's essentially Michael Moore talking for two hours or something, you know, and I'm watching this thing and, you know, putting all of the different political things aside there's a bit where he talks about why people would vote for Trump. And I listened to it. And at first I just listened to what he was saying. And then I went back and thought, oh my goodness, that is a powerful peak of, when you forget the content or whatever he's necessarily saying, whatever you on that divide, that's some powerful piece of speaking. And that still cuts through. And here people were emailing that around. It was going around online. And so it said to me, if you're communicating key stuff that people want to hear, whether it's a TED talk or even a, even a stand-up comedian, people will still sit and listen to it. And someone will go and listen to two hours of someone speaking um, and it, it, it still has a place. And it's and it, now it's something rare and interesting about it um, in a post-Christian context. And there's, you know, the, I, I don't know that there's a perfect parallel, but I don't think it's a bad parallel even to see, you know, it's not uncommon for people to pass a, you know, around here to be like a David Brooks you know, article from the New York Times. Yes. So you've got this long form thought that's being developed. It's not a, it's not, it's not a dialogue. It's just someone laying down this well thought out, well constructed piece for then people to engage with. And it's, mm. it's valued and it's celebrated. And I, I wonder how much the sermon still offers the same kind of thing. Yeah. And I think, I think it's interesting you bring up the David Brooks thing in the sense that I think the, like I've noticed, yeah, his articles get sent around or other people at different times. And even at the moment, the political thing, you know, people, people are, what I realized is that what's working with us is that we are offering a, because the, it's not like the Western culture understands itself. Um, if you're a Maasai warrior tribes person from Africa, you understand your culture. This is us because Western culture is in flux and always changing. And there's twists and turns that no one sees coming. Um, that people are constantly wanting you to interpret where the culture's at. And I think because preachers and Christian leaders are always in that mindset of what's happening in the culture, how do I preach into it? It actually gives us this really interesting missional kind of preaching, which is saying to people, this is, this is what it, this is what's happening, you know? And we've had people turn up and go, like, first couple of sermons, like, I didn't get the Christian stuff you're talking about, but when you talked about individualism or when you talked about our need for community or when you talked about what Facebook's doing to the world, they are just totally clued in and and hungry for it. So I think that it's long form, but it's also 
you know, to go back to the Michael Moore thing, in that moment, he was telling people what was happening in that cultural moment and helping them understand. And that's what makes things viral. So for us, I always have this little sort of triad in my head, which is word, spirit, and culture. And I think if you can get those three things working and, and, and activating or not, you know, you don't make them work, God does. But if you get those three elements in a post-Christian culture, I think that's, that's really something that cuts through. All right. Well, I mean, all that said, let's talk then about your particular practice for sermon preparation. Mm. Uh, you know, looking at your website, it looks like you tend to do series that maybe are thematic. Maybe, you know, maybe they're scripture based or you certainly have a key scripture for each, but it certainly doesn't look like you follow the lectionary. So mm. talk about what it looks like for you to map out and plan out what you're going to preach on, how you put series together, how far in advance, mm. all of those pieces. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like we, we, you know, we thought a lot about the lectionary and we have a lot of people who come from different backgrounds to our church and some have come from lectionary based churches. And there's an element where there's a spirit led thing to it as well. Like we've, we've done that in seasons and we do that around Advent mm -hmm. and we do that around Lent. So we do go lectionary in those seasons, but then the rest of the time, it's really that spirit. And what I mean by the spirit is what is the spirit saying to these people of God at the moment? And what we find is that at the moment, a bunch of the leaders, we just all ended up in Ephesians and like find God gets us in bits of scripture. So scripture is this really, really key thing in there. And, you know, it's primary and we, we always start with the scripture. We have someone read it and we, we expose it as we go. Um, but then linking that spirit. And so I'm always asking the question, what's God doing amongst the people What's he wanting to say amongst our people? Is there a word? So we have, we have, you know, every Monday night we have people praying and we've got a really faithful groups of people praying at both our two congregations. And so I listen to what they're saying. Um, so my wife's involved in that. So I don't go on Monday night because I let her go and I have the kids at home and she'll always come back and say, hey, someone had this word. This is happening. Um, I listen to like things. So for one example, at the moment, I've just been really struck by the normativeness of anxiety in culture. <laughs> like it's just absolutely everywhere. So then I'm just encountering people with anxiety left, right, and center, you know, from leaders to unchurched people to in our church. And so I start to go, well, what do you want to say into this God? And, and then at the same time, you've got this scripture where we're reading similar scriptures and Ephesians and, you know, how do those two linking? And then the third sort of bit of like, what's the culture happening in the world? Well, at the moment, there's so much fear and trepidation in the world about, you know, where's the direction of the world going? And then I start to get sort of shape a series around that. So our current series is the people of God alive. And that was born out of, I felt that people and churches are getting trapped by everyone being anxious, no one talking about it, missing out on what our real identity is in God. And reading through Ephesians, this image, particularly in Ephesians 2, of you know the people are lifted to the heavenlies with Christ. And if we just understood our true identity, not just as individuals, but as the people of God and what that means. So it's sort of these three things always working together that we're sort of feeling and sensing what the Spirit is saying, what Scripture is telling us, and where the culture's at. That's how we come up with those sort of thematic series. Sometimes, too, we'll just feel like God wants us to do Mark. Let's get into Mark and Isaiah or, or whatever. And uh, But it's always, yeah, those, those elements working together. And you... Um... Uh, so you obviously have this one outlined that you're up to right now. Like how many, how far in advance are, do you already have the next one forming? Is it already outlined? Um, so we'll move into an Advent one next. Sure. Yeah. And um, we, we're starting to just pray about that. And, and we've done lots of stuff in, in the past on the King coming and Jesus coming and Lordship of Christ. And we just have this real sense of wanting to continue the work that, is being done in this current series and this 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 is sense of having confidence in christ so the next series is going to be called um, christmas christ and confidence and we'll do the liturgical readings but we feel like god's pushing us for people to have a sense of confidence and you know i'm sure austin has a lot of you know i know i know austin has a lot of similar culture to melbourne that in that progressive 
secular culture, it's easy for people in progressive workplaces, our people, to then feel this lack of confidence in in their own faith because you're seen as strange or weird or characterized as a certain type of Christian. And yeah, so we want to keep the work God's doing in this and pushing it into that. But all of it comes out of that prayer, staying close to God, um, and see, yeah, seeing, seeing those themes emerge. Um, so we're probably like always just one we're always one series. Um, yeah, we, we're either in that series and then we're on to the next one, but we never sort of get to three or four ahead. Um, so you don't know February or March at this point? No, no. <laughs> um, and, and part of that too is it's really interesting. Like we sort of, as, as we sort of came out of this, you know, very organic church that was small and deconstructed and then God rebuilt us, God sort of connected us back to sort of rhythms and patterns and structures and sort of went in the other direction of like, hey, we need a framework to build this thing around. And just in the last couple of years, so we started to get to the stage where we were planning ahead. And then I just sort of felt God almost stopping me thinking too far ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in complete moments of honesty, here you go, on the, on the podcast, my last two sermons, I had numbers of days to prepare for them and just sat there and just felt an absolute blockage. My sermon this Sunday and the sermon passed, literally I sat there and had the prep time carved in the diary. And then I took another day the next day and it was just writer's block, um, sermon prep block. And on 7am, both mornings, God then just said, this is what I want you to speak about. Hmm. And, you know, before that, there was a thing where I realized I was falling into this trap of, we had these beautifully crafted keynote presentations um, you know, it was all set up perfectly. And I just felt God t- challenging me a little bit that I was becoming reliant on those things, that I was becoming reliant on my own crafting and strength of it, which I'm not against, but I'm in a little funny season at the moment where God's like, hey, I want you to fully rely on me. So that's actually you getting up early um, and praying, and then I'll give it to you, like, trust me. Um, and had to, And having a different response from people like the last two ones, people didn't know that I did that. Um, but people were like, wow, there's something different about those two sermons. Like they have been really helpful. So, um, yeah, it's almost like God's leading us in a little bit of an unlearning at the moment, um, to learn more, to push into him. I'm terrified listening to you say this. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think every, any preacher is like, Oh my goodness. Um, did it, I mean, do you feel like it came to you at 7 a.m.? Or do you feel like it came to you when you were actually settling in with the microphone in hand and beginning the sermon part of your service? I mean, you, by that time, you had a sense of where you were going? Um, it came to me at 7, and I just had a few key points sort of scribbled in this page. Like, it was a, it looked like a, you know, an explosion in a pizza factory. Uh, my notes, like, uh, it was just a mess, and... So even looking at the notes in the last song, I'm like, God, all right, I've got to trust you on this one. And I had, I knew that I had more points than I could get through. So even up there, I just um, was like, lead me to the points you want me to focus on today. And I, I just went with that. So I think it was a little bit of both. Um, and again, too, I wouldn't say like, hey, that's a that's something then that people should um, um replicate what i think it does say is that there's certain seasons where god will take us through different ways of preparing and different things that we need at that time and it came at the end i just finished my book i don't know a couple of weeks ago and I was, I was really quite tired and um and it was very easy for me to then rely on my own strength and rely on my own smarts and not yeah. rely on his spirit. So I think it's more that God does that in certain seasons um, versus being, hey, you know, everyone, let's leave it to the last, you know, the morning before. Yeah. Well, well I mean, as well as we can then. We can certainly talk about prior sermons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but tell us about your process of putting, other than the 7 a.m. Sunday version, yes. tell us about what, well, let, me, let me even ask this, because you talked about you have, two different congregations. I know that you, uh, you certainly have, you know, a number of books that you've written. I don't know how much you travel, but I know you travel some. So how often do you yourself preach? Are you preaching almost every week or is it spread out more? Yeah. So it's been a really interesting thing in that, my, you know, a lot of my audience is overseas and, um, 
it's been it's a funny thing in that I have this book writing ministry and speaking ministry, um, but then I'm also called to a local church on the other side of the world, and I literally exist in a few mile block radius for 90% of my life. And it's school I can walk to, I can walk to my office, my wife's work where she works two days a week, you can walk to and the kids kindergarten, um, you can walk to the shops, all the stores, all this stuff, everything's walkable. And um, so I have this very light and then twice a year, I will go to the Northern Hemisphere, um, Mm -hmm. or maybe New Zealand. And, you know, I'll normally do America and then Europe and America or something. And I try and do it in about two weeks, 10 days. So I have then these bursts while I then I'll go and speak. But the rest of the time I'm, I'm home and I'm preaching. And um, one of the other things is that, you know, God really spoke to me a little while ago about not um, um, relying on myself to be the only preacher and not driving the church um, on just me. When we planted our uh congregation that we planted this year, which is about a 40 minute drive from here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the plan was, I was just going to go every second week. And, and what was really interesting is God began to bring people to that church who could preach. And, um, there's a couple of guys who were ministers at other churches that he brought along alongside the guy who's our congregation pastor there. And so I actually haven't been out there for, I don't know, six, seven weeks or something, and seeing God raising up preachers. I also have uh, three ministry apprentices and training them to preach. Um, we have a couple of guys um, too who are, who are lay, who preach. Sarah, who works with me, preaches as well and is a really gifted speaker. Um, so I wanted to create a um, group of preachers alongside me. So I try and do sort of three quarters, but even that I would like to see lesson a bit, not because I feel like I've got to lead through preaching, but I also want to create space for others to preach. And what I would love is that one day people are talking about them more than they talk about me. And um, the natural transition of passing the baton occurs and no one really notices, I think is a good life's work. So uh, all that to say, though, context-wise, you're, you're still preaching pretty regularly. I mean, it's almost a week-to-week thing for you. Yes. yes. And that's that's helpful for, for even, like, understanding your timeline. I don't know how you're doing all this writing and doing all these sermons, but we'll focus on the sermons today. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So that being said, take us back, you know, backtrack with us through what's your typical process for yeah. from the first spark of an individual sermon all the way through Sunday. Looks like you, you do Sunday morning. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we do, both. do Sunday and then both, I do yeah. five as well. So I do the same sermon in the two services. Um. Yeah, so the morning is um, probably broader in ages. Night's pretty much millennials with some others. Um, but, yeah, I do the same seven twice. So for me, the whole thing is driven by my devotional life with God. And I remember hearing – I can't remember who said that. I remember hearing that from someone, and it comes from – Um, this sense that it's got to be an overflow of what God is doing in my life. So almost all of my sermons begin somewhere in my quiet time and with God. And so I just have a journal and I just read through scriptures and I wrote notes of what God's saying to me the whole time. And what I begin to find is that these little sparks of what God is doing in the midst of that and that prayerful listening to God combined with reading of scripture, it all begins there. And then there's that sort of going back to, you know, what I said earlier is where that might happen a number of weeks in advance. And I start to then get into that thing of what's being said in the community, what's being said in the culture. So I will then keep, I have a file in my Evernote uh, on my phone and it's just called Sermon Ideas. And so any idea that comes to me, I just use the voice thing often and I just type it up. So one thing I've learned is that you often go, oh, there's that spark, there's that idea, and you forget it. Like I think, oh, I'll remember this, and I don't because I'm like, oh, I had this brilliant thought yesterday. I can't remember. And particularly, you know, I've got three kids and life's busy, and I just find that I've got to capture them. And so over a few weeks in my quiet time, capturing on Evernote, and then I start to find that something comes together. So I start to then arrange that stuff. And, and often we use like a mind map. I'm not a linear thinker. So I just get it all down. Often I'll have a um, – I'm not sure if you guys have the same – 
paper measurements, but we have an A3 paper, which is like a fairly big sheet. And um, I'll just start writing all the stuff and connecting the dots and just getting it all down and getting in that non-linear thing. I'll find that often there's one particular scripture that sits out and I feel like that's the thing that's got to drive it that God's been speaking to me through. And then I'll sort of break it down into probably more traditional format, um, which is, you know, I begin with the scripture, talk about the context or talk about what God's saying and then drive into the key points and then really try and have a challenge at the end. So we, our denomination does communion every week and it's sort of half communion, half. So you come forward for communion, it's around tables and you kneel and um, you can spend some time in prayer. There's people there to pray. So it's half communion, half altar call a little bit. And really always driving towards that at the end, driving to a response that what God wants to do in people's life there, but then also what he wants to take into the week. So that's sort of a sketch of, of, of for me, how it works. Um, but also I'm talking to people as well. Like I forgot to say, so I'm just like, hey, what do you think of this? Talking to my staff. Um, my wife won't say something that's come from her prayer life or um, we're always talking about what's God saying? What, what's God doing at the moment? Hey, you heard that ver- verse too. Oh, that's bizarre. You know, like listening for those little signposts of the spirit. So, so you've got all of these Evernote thoughts. They, I mean, are are you putting them together for a particular sermon, or are you just capturing all these thoughts? Like, how do you know which ones go onto the A three page for this upcoming sermon, and which ones you're just tucked away for later? Yeah, yeah. So it's not for a sometimes they're for a particular sermon. Often they're not, um, and so that's sort of a live file, and I'll delete stuff out of it. So it's sort of like, what's God saying always? Um, sometimes it's even a story. Like I might even be watching a movie and I'm like, wow, that's a brilliant illustration. Or I see an article in the news and I'll capture it that I could use or you know, just um, an illustration or something like that. So it's always got that happening. And then as I sit down with the A3, just praying, what do you want me to say in this particular one? And I just find that you start to see the patterns and then I'll leave it on the Evernote if it's if it's not. And I'll have my journal there as well and I'm transferring it from what my quiet time is. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes it, I sit there for three or four hours trying to work that bit out. Other times it happens really easily. Um, yeah, so that's sort of how I, how I transfer it. And then what is your... Um... What is your process of actually digging in? Because you just said, you know, you'll do the text and mm. then you'll talk some about the context. How much time do you tend to spend on even once you know what that driving text is going to be mm. doing work on that text to see if mm. you see if it illuminates any more? Or is it more just what you've already got from your devotional life? Um, yeah, so I'll have what I have from my devotional life and then I'll jump in more. So I'll get, um, you know, commentaries and, and read it. Um, some, it's interesting. Sometimes I find that helpful. Other times, God, the, the, the meaning is very clear from the get-go. Other times it comes out in reading commentaries and stuff like that. So often I'll have that quiet time in my devotional where I'll just have my Bible. I'll use the NIV study Bible is the new, new one that's come out. I've been using that. But then when I'm like, hey, there's something here I really need to explore, I will then get out the commentaries, do more work on the text, and then I sort of start to see... Often, often when I'm confused, like that's when I sort of start with that, when I'm very clear what God's saying um, and the text is already speaking to me, um, I perhaps might not do as much work, but there's always an exposition or an explanation of the scripture in, in, in that. Yeah. Yeah. And is it, uh, are you a Bible software guy or do you have a wall of books, a wall of commentaries? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I like tactile books, so I prefer... Um, yeah, I, I prefer that. I, I just find, I mean, like, yeah, here's an honest thing for people which might be helpful. I just find computers distracting because I'm a distracted person and I know if I'm sitting there and I'm tempted to look at the news, sports, mm. um, you know, I hit it, I, oh, what's happening on Twitter? Um, so I just find that when I'm in tactile books, I can't, I can't get distracted. And um, that's a really helpful thing for me. Yeah. Cause I just will be distracted. Um, so you don't even have a computer open for this. You've got no, the sheet of paper paper. and yeah. yeah, just your phone. You got Evernote sitting there apparently. Yes. Yeah. Evernote on my phone. And actually on my phone, I've taken off the internet, um, taken off email, um, 
just because of that distraction factor. Um, and yeah, so it's just me, what God's doing in that moment and the piece of paper. And I found, I find that really helpful and, and less stressful in a weird way. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah. Focusing. Yeah. And what's the, what's the timeline generally for when all of these pieces happen? Yeah. Good, good question. Um, so I'll find over, yeah, it can sort of be a month and a half to two uh-huh. weeks. Um, yeah. that's sort of happening all the time. And, and what'll happen sometimes, like it was, this sermon I did on Sunday, which again too was a slightly unusual one, but the stuff which I thought was going to get into there, which I felt like saying, no, that's a separate sermon in itself. So, um, it can be. And the and the other thing too, I think it's probably worth saying as well is, I always find that God will test me on what I'm preaching on in some bizarre way in my own life, hmm. that then I have to talk about. Um, so I'll have this thing, oh, this is a great idea. It's all, you know, it's intellectual and it's coming from my quiet time and stuff like that. And then I'll be confronted with it. If I'm preaching on unforgiveness, I'll be, it'll be in my head and then I'll be confronted where I have to connect with unforgiveness. And I just noticed that when you bring that element into it, that that's a really powerful thing. So yeah, it can sort of happen a month and a half out. It can happen in those couple of weeks, but it just starts to over time. So I feel like I'm healthiest when I sit down to sermon prep and a lot of work that's been done through my devotional time, through listening to God, through trying to follow him and follow the way of Jesus in my life. Um, I sort of know that it's flowing yeah, yeah, and I'm in a good place. And then for putting your sermon together, you talked about, I mean, you, you basically outlined an outline of, I think you said text context, mm. key points, challenge, mm. something like that. I mean, do you tend to, do you find that you settle into the same format every time? Is that a comfort zone for you or does that take a different shape all the time? Um, I think, I think it's a, it's not so much a comfort zone. It's probably just more a helpful thing because I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a high N on the Myers-Briggs. I'm five on the Enneagram. I'm, an idea guy and I can talk about ideas to the cows come home. I can talk about theory until the cows come home. Sure. So for me, that's more a discipline to make sure that for people who aren't as excited about talking about theory, that actually can drive into practicalities and take homes. And so sometimes I, like I spoke at the justice conference here in Melbourne the other week and they asked me to speak on Christianity politics at the moment. And, and I just did a very theoretical, very story driven quite, you know, creative sort of approach, sort of a bit like my books. And I think that's good for conference speaking. And occasionally I'll do that at Red. But people, I think when you're discipling them over a long period of time, you've already won them over um, and they want to know what to do. Um, even the person who's like, I've come here and God's doing something in life and I'm not a Christian and why the heck am I sitting here? They need something practical to then take with that. So for me, it's more, a, not so much a comfort thing, but more a discipline thing to drive me towards how does this affect people's lives and how do they live out this? I'm going to, I'm going to take a little bit of a turn here. Mm. Uh, not a big turn, but it'll, it'll relate to some of this, but mm. I'll, I'll, I'll start anecdotal. This past weekend was the book fest, the Texas book festival here in Austin. Mm. And it's one of our favorite weekends for our family because uh, my kids all love books. My 14 year old daughter had one of the ones, you know, she's, she pretty much mapped out our schedule for us <laughs> and yeah. she told us which authors we were going to go see and get books signed by. But she asked anytime she got a chance, you know, and raised her hand, she asked, what advice would you have for a teenager who wants to be a writer? Mm-hmm. Cause she's been writing like crazy. And mm-hmm. two of them, all of them said, read books. All of them said, well, you have to write, but two of them said something that I know to be true, even from preaching, which is you have to pay attention all the time. When you're standing in a circle of friends and something gets said Mm. that just seems meaningful or is said a little bit unique, for most people that will just fly away like a butterfly. Mm. But you have to catch that and tuck it away and put it in your pocket. Mm. And I I know that there's seasons where I do that really well, where everything I see and everything I hear is like, oh, man, I got to catch hold of that because it's for this certain upcoming sermon or just it's appealing. You've talked a couple times here about just something going on in the culture. And I certainly know from having read a few of your books or heard some of your lectures that 
you just seem like you're tuned in all the time. I mean, you kind of make me sick <laughs> because I feel like you'll say, yeah, I was watching this movie the other day and then, you know, this, it triggered this thought. Mm-hmm. Is, is that something that you have to, which is like those butterflies flying away, right? I mean, mm-hmm. is that something that you feel like it's just you and you're just, mm-hmm. you're always that attentive or is that something that you somehow have to keep cultivated to have that level of, of attentiveness to say, you know, to see what you want to be working in all the time. Hmm. That was a long question. No, it's a good <laughs> question. Um, it's a really good question. Yeah. I, I, I think it's partly how God has wired me. Um, I, you know, part of my journey is um, at high school, really struggling um, in my uh, sort of second last year of what you would call senior high, the principal, you know, said you need to leave, um, not because I was, you know, like a disruptive student, but because they were like, you just, you know, you don't have the brain to do this. And, um, but what was going on, which people didn't see. And I remember there's this clear moment where I did an essay, like I was, I couldn't do this essay. And then the teacher said, do it or you stay behind it. I remember it was on, it was on Macbeth and I just belted this thing out. And I remember the last line, it was something like, you know, Macbeth, um, won the kingdom of Scotland, but lost his soul or something. And the teacher then getting this and then like, you've cheated. And I'm like, no, they just came out of me. And like, they actually accused me of cheating. And so I had this obsession with the world and this analytical thing to understand stuff. So I would go to the library and just read stuff and read all these books and, and it became this obsession and, and I didn't know what to do with it. And then when I first went to seminary, I failed the first year because I just had this thing, I can't do this. And then I think in Christian leadership that God then took this this particular gift that he'd given me for watching the culture, watching around me, absorbing things, being obsessive. My brother's really similar. It's interesting, like my brother works in, um, he works at sort of our emergency center when there's like a crisis in Melbourne. He, he he works there, and but he's the same in the sense that we both were obsessed by things. So he'll just notice stuff in the culture, and he's like amazing with movies and music and and all that sort of stuff. So it's a little bit how we were wired in our family that God has redeemed. And I've had to be careful when training up my guys. God spoke to me saying, "Hey, they're just so Bjorn. He's one of our guys that we're training, and and he." he preaches in this particular way and God's given him this particular way of speaking. That's very different to how I speak. And I felt God saying, Mark, don't turn him into you allow what God's doing in him to speak. And so there's been this element that that is me. Having said that, what I found really interesting is that my books and, and my, my stuff in America, it's only read in certain places. <laughs> sure, sure. So it, it's, it's literally, I get it. Portland, Austin, New York, LA, San Francisco. Um, like it's, it's all of the sort of progressive, more secular places. It's really bizarre. Like I don't get invited to, um, you know, super bubble about places, you know, and so they don't know you in Wichita. Is that what you're saying? Wichita. Never been Um, to Wichita. No, I've never been. Um, I did get a South Dakota once. Um, (laughs) Oh my goodness. um, Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. Um, but, you know, and I'll go into Europe or London or Copenhagen or these places or Auckland and New Zealand. Um, and I realized that part of the approach that God has wired me has then been really helpful for guys preaching in these environments because it is this missional thing. So there's an element where, yes, it's me, but then there's a missional skill of interpretation where you're a missionary and you're interpreting the culture. You're interpreting for your people. You're interpreting for unchurched people to come into your church. So what I've noticed is that there's people who have learnt from me, from something that just seems natural to me, to be attentive to the culture. So I think for me, I don't have to do it. So, I mean, you know, without going to it all, but I just wrote this book on the current global thing. And that came about where I just realized it was all in my head because I've been following it so closely and just absorbing everything and reading about. I started, I started studying contemporary Russian politics and Putin, when Putin disappeared for 30 days, I got obsessed and just read everything. And then I'm reading this and thinking, goodness me. And I say to people like, I've just been studying Russian, you know, political culture at the moment. And then all of a sudden that then bursts into the American electorate, into Brexit. And then like, I just feel God saying, 
yeah, I get you to study this stuff and be obsessed about the world. So then you can just write a book. So then I wrote a book in four weeks about all of that, but it was already all done. So not mm. everyone has to be like me. I'm very unusual and been wired unusually, and it's a curse and a blessing <laughs> simultaneously. <laughs> but I do think there's something that for guys preaching in Austin or Poland or, sure. you know, a Vancouver um, that needing to to listen to the culture and preach into it in a particular way is really i think important and 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 fruitful and it, it, and, and do you find that uh, so would you say that a lot of what happens in your books comes across in your sermons in a similar way like even though your books are generally lit, written i think we could say more for church leadership mm. do, is that fair to say and if so would do you mostly do the same kind of thing though, even in your sermons with that level of look at this thing that's going on in the culture and people say, Oh yeah, you're right. That is going on around yeah. us. Yeah. I think it's, it's always coming back to that. So it's always preaching into the context. Mm -hmm. uh, there'll be some where it's more spiritual, but it's always anchored in something in the context. And even I might not even say, so I might not go, Hey, here's this cultural phenomenon. So like anxiety was on my head and my head for last week's sermon. I didn't mention anxiety that much. But I'm preaching into it because I know that that's the thing. So I was actually talking about life in the spirit and so on as a counterpoint. So pardon me, I always see myself as a missionary. So I've always got to preach in that way. Um, so sometimes I might go, hey, let's look at, I don't know, Instagram and, you know, what that means and go into it in depth. Um, other times it'll just be speaking about a passage in, I don't know, Joshua or something that, um, um, you know, is, is relevant to, to what we're talking about. Yeah. In, in the culture. Well, that's uh, often I, what I like to do is ask people, you know, just books or resources that have been helpful for them, but I'm going to ask a different question to you. Mm. Uh, I, Cause I, I do want to give you a little bit of space. I just finished disappearing church. I'd read facing Leviathan a few years mm. ago. Uh, looks like you have another book that you just mentioned. I assume it's the one you just mentioned, The Strange Days. So, yes, uh, I, you know, particularly, and I think I first heard some of the creative minority stuff from John Tyson, which led me to your Disappearing Church book, mm -hmm. which was super helpful. Um, but can you talk a little bit about a couple of your books that you think are particularly relevant, even for what we're talking about here for, for sermons? Because I'd love for others, even in Wichita or yeah, South yeah. Dakota, to, yeah. uh, to engage with some of the stuff you've been writing. I think there's two levels. So like, I think I'll talk about two books. So one is Vertical Self, The Vertical Self. And that was me wanting to talk and advocate for holiness and then going, God, holiness has disappeared in, in a generation. Why is that so? Like everyone wanted to be cool, no one to be holy. And then that then led me to exploring a whole bunch of cultural stuff, celebrity, social media, the age of the image, and so for me, I think that's a good example of it's not it's not driven at leaders. Um, it's more driven at the general public, but it's an example of preaching into, I think, a cultural moment and then advocating for a traditional Christian doctrine of holiness and part of the Christian life, but doing that by wrestling with the, with the culture. Um, I think Disappearing Church... Um, is then more me speaking to leaders about this particular cultural moment, which was like my idea of almost how to posture yourself as a Christian in this, in this particular culture um, and um, how to understand. I, I felt, I felt that everyone was going, we're in a post-Christian culture and people didn't understand what that meant. It was something different than what we thought. I think everyone thought, oh, so that means no one's going to want to go to a church building anymore. And so therefore, let's the church that will answer a post-Christian culture will be one that looks nothing like Christianity. And that's a misreading of Chris, Chris, uh, post-Christianity. And it's a mi misreading of what post-Christendom is. Um, so I wanted to really carefully articulate that for people. So as they're leading churches, they understand um, yeah, where they're at. Um, and how to position themselves as they preach. Because I think if you understand your context, you understand the posture you need to take as the church, that's going to drive your preaching. Um, and then Strange Days, yeah, it was a really interesting, a really interesting thing in the sense of I just was continually asked, 
everywhere I went. So this last trip to America, and I went to London, and then I went across the states, New York, San Francisco, Portland, and I was just asked again and again, has the world gone mad? And what is happening? You know, Brexit, Russia, um, you know, global financial crisis, battles over gender pronouns. You know, it just seemed like there was this cultural change happening and everything. And then, of course, the Trump-Clinton campaign. And there seemed to be this mood in the world. And I thought, we need to be preaching into this as it's happening because everyone is confused. Fear is coming. So what does the Bible say to this? So it was almost like real time. Like I feel like my other books have looked back on a cultural phenomenon. And with this one, I thought, now let's get ahead as it's actually happening to speak into it in real time. So I think there's an element of the prophetic. Like, so my gifting has an element of that prophetic. Um, and I don't necessarily mean that so much in a super Pentecostal sense as much as in preaching the word of God in a cultural moment of what God wants to say in that cultural moment. Uh, yeah, so I guess that's three three sketches of three of my books. Kind of the prophetic uh, description is, is Alan's apest stuff would describe yes. it. Yeah. Yes. So I'm apostolic prophetic. And that's interesting because I'm not a teacher. Teaching is probably my next one, but I'm always going to preach prophetically and apostolically less so teaching wise. Yeah. Well, Mark, thanks so much. It's, it's really been a treat to have you on, um, for someone who besides your books, but for someone who wants to catch up or hear a little bit, maybe, maybe your preaching style, mm -hmm. uh, or, to keep up with you on Twitter, where can people find you online? Because you're yes. online all the time. That's what we learned today is you're always online, even yes. when you're writing sermons. <laughs> yes, yes, constantly online. Um, uh, my um, only social media thing is Twitter. Um, so that's at SayersMark, um, S-A-Y-E-R-S-M-A-R-K. Um, so at SayersMark, my name backwards. Um, and um, if you wanted to listen to the sermons, you can find them in the iTunes store under Red Church. There is a few red churches. I think we're the top rank, ranked one. And look for the Australian one there, and you'll see my name there. Um, or at our website, you can also find that, which is redchurch.org.au. And I realize that Americans often have problems with how we say our letters. So that's like A as in Apple and U as in Union. I thought that was very understandable, AU. Just as oh, good, good. I've tried to check into <laughs> hotels before, and they're like, they cannot work out what I'm saying with my spelling of my name. So I thought, it was, yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's uh, it's it's really a treat to have you. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been great to great to chat. Thank you as always for listening. If you're finding the podcast helpful, I'd encourage you to go to patreon.com slash sermonsmith, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, where you can pledge to support the podcast with a dollar per interview or a couple dollars per interview. I have a goal to really get us to about $50 per interview just to offset some of the time that I've been putting in this to allow it to continue. You've seen that the episodes, the interviews have been a little more sporadic lately. That's just because I've been trying to have to make time. And a little bit more income that's devoted to this would help me make a little bit more time for it. So would welcome that. would appreciate that if you'd consider it. And as always, spreading the word on Twitter, Facebook, social media, uh, always appreciated. Thanks again, friends. 